that I give uh, or that I have is from uh, my own personal study that I still continue to this day. And so I wanted to offer something for adult formation uh, so that people can start to learn the faith in an accessible way. Right? Because I hear so often people kind of complain, Father, I didn't learn that in confirmation class. And I'm like, anteriorly, I'm kind of like, yeah, I know, we can do a better job. But then, like, anteriorly, I'm thinking, like, you're like mid-40s now. Or, you know, or above. It's like, confirmation is like when you were 14. Like, and that's why we have this horrific statistic of the average knowledge of the faith is on a sixth grade level. Uh, that's, that is horrific. No wonder people are leaving the faith because nobody knows the faith. And so it's been kind of a, a deep desire of mine to teach the faith. And so the, um, I have a lot of different thoughts. I just chose these four. Right? Uh, and that's kind of the motive behind why I'm giving these thoughts or why I have a podcast, why we have a podcast here, why we try to do different things. Right. And so we'll just begin with that little precursor. Uh, I'll begin with a little verse from our very first Holy Father, uh, St. Peter, uh, from the second letter of St. Peter, uh, chapter 1. He says, First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no one's prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Uh, tonight, for this talk, uh, I want to go into the Bible under three main ideas that I'm going to unpack. Uh, the first is what the Bible is. What is the Bible? And then the second, um, what is the Old Testament? And what is the New Testament? And then lastly, um, now that I know what the Bible is, how do I read it? Okay, so those are the three main ideas I'm going to unpack tonight. The first, what is the Bible? Did it change right there? I can see. All right, now we're, now we're cooking. Uh, the first, what is the Bible? Okay, it's sacred scripture. Uh, it's the books which contain the truths of God's revelation. And they were composed by human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. Inspired is an important word. It's the speech of God as it is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, first of all, Scripture is inspired. And it's inerrant. That means it's without error. It's inspired by God unlike any other text in the world, and it's without error. The whole Bible, properly understood and interpreted by the church, is true and completely without error, 100%. And so just uh, a low-hanging fruit question with that is, Father, if the Bible is inerrant, no error, no mistakes, then why are there four Gospels and, and there's differences in them? Like key differences in the four Gospels. 
Or if, if you read some things in the Old Testament, it says God is, is a mountain or God is a fortress. What? Is that, is that without error? Or, or, or Genesis? Right? The story of creation. Is that 100%? Well, first, the Gospels, huh? Um, if there's different if there's differences in the Gospels, how is it without error? There's different perspectives does not make it with error. Right? Just because it's a different perspective on the same event doesn't mean it has error. God does not override the human author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. God does not override the author so that they write the exact same thing. Think of it like this. If uh, four people saw a car accident, right? they, they all saw the same accident, but from four different perspectives. Right? They're going to recount the same accident, but from they're going to say different things about it. It's, uh, it is not like how me and my brother, when we got in fights when we were kids, and we had to go tell mom and dad about who gave the other one the black eye, right? It's two completely different stories. Most likely both of us lying. Uh, that's, not what the, that's not what it is. A divine inspiration. That's that word I said that was so important. Under the breath of the Holy Spirit, the author writes. The human author, divinely inspired by God, writes the Bible. So what is divine inspiration? First, let's say this is called negative theology. Is what it's not. Right? So what is, what is divine inspiration what it's not? The first is called this hypnotic or this trance theory. Uh, that states that the person goes under a possession by God or a trance. God completely overtakes the human author and writes the scriptures. And the human author is just cast into oblivion until he comes back. Uh, this hypnotic trance theory. The problem with that is there's no room for any input by the human author. Right? There would be no need for four Gospels. Because God would just get it right the first time. Right? He'd just say what he wanted to say in one Gospel. And so God respects our human free will. He respects the human person. So he does not override them. The next one, kind of moving a little bit more to the other side, is this um, subsequent appropriation theory. This, uh, it says that it's canon or it's sacred scripture simply because the church says it is. This is what most people think the Catholic Church is, huh? Because the Catholic Church said it, there we go, that's it, huh? Uh, it's scripture because they said it is scripture. And this goes to the opposite extreme. Uh, well, God's not involved at all now. It's just the human aspect of it. There's no cooperation The middle of the road, the proper way of understanding it, is a balanced interpretation of what inspiration is. A joint operation where it gives justice to both the divine and human authors. 
The human author is working, yes. But God is present, God is guiding, and God is inspiring the human author when he writes this. So why didn't Christ write anything down whenever he was here on earth? Well, I remember I was asked my theology teacher this. This is kind of the simple questions I, I would ask. Like, why, how come Christ didn't write nothing down? And uh, my dogmatic uh, theology professor, who's a genius, uh, kind of just gave an off-the-cuff answer. He said it was most likely because people would have worshipped what he wrote down. Right? The word is supposed to point to the word made flesh by Jesus Christ. And if Jesus would have wrote something down, then people would have probably just worshipped what he wrote. Because this is God. And we're not called to worship uh, sacred scripture. We're called to worship God. Right? And so divine inspiration is when God and the human author work side by side with each other. God is guiding that person and telling them what to write, but it's the human author writing it. How did the Bible come about? That, that other picture is kind of hard to see. You don't need to see it, huh? Uh, how did the Bible come about? This is actually something that a lot of people get. I remember hearing this, and I was kind of blown away by this, so I, I hope you are too. Um, the Bible was fine. The Bible did not just fall down from the sky. Actually, I have no idea where the Bible came from. Uh, the Bible didn't fall down from the sky, and God said, hey, look, here's the Bible, huh? and uh, go read it. Uh, that's not how it happened. It was the Catholic Church that produced the Bible. The Bible is a Catholic book. And so when Catholics say, I don't know the Bible, you know I'm a Catholic, that's like ridiculous. It really is. That doesn't even make sense. The Bible was produced at the Council of Rome in 382 and reinforced at every council since then, including the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent really put a stamp on it, although there's been, there was plenty of stamps of approval before, including the Council of Rome. The reason why the Council of Trent was the final one is because with the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, who started Lutheranism, and John Calvin, who started Calvinism, Ludwig Zwingli, and the list goes on and on, uh, they removed the books from the Bible, so that they can finally believe what they wanted to believe. Go figure. People changing scripture to believe what they want to believe. Right? And so the, that's how the Protestant Reformation happened. And Martin Luther removed, and the, and the other Protestant reformers removed the books from the Bible so they could teach what they wanted to teach. And so that's when the Council of Trent was the final one uh, to say, nope. We've been having this since the uh, 4th century, and it ain't changing. Right? And so I have this little bar stool up here because the Catholic Church teaches by three main ways. Sacred Scripture, the Magisterium, and Tradition. Right? Today we're just talking about Sacred Scripture. I was actually thinking if I should do a three-part series on the, on the Magisterium and the Tradition with that as well. Because it was the magisterium, which is the Pope and all of the bishops in union with the Pope at the Council of Rome, who affirmed the tradition of these books that were already part of the tradition of the church. 
and said, okay, now we have sacred scripture. So, this is going to sound, this is where it blew me away. Sacred scripture came last for the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was already existent for 300, over 300 years before the Bible came about. The magisteric popes, we had three over 300 years of popes before the Bible came about. And so when people are putting the Bible above other things, that's not based in history. That's not how the that's not how Christianity was formed. And so the, the year 382, the Council of Rome is when it was formed. Scripture was born out of the other two. And then this is kind of a few little things on tradition. Holy tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ, the Lord and the Holy Spirit. It transmits it to the successors of the apostles who are the bishops so that they may faithfully preserve, expound, and spread it abroad by their, by their teaching. Right? So the bishops and the pope are in charge of spreading the gospel to every nation. You know how you have a place, you know, uh, everyone can read the same Bible verse or chapter and everyone gets something different out of it and you're like, man, I wonder who's right. Well, God gave the power of the Holy Spirit to the Catholic Church to make sure that the entire world believes what is right. right? Because if, if nobody has that power, well then God is free reign. You do whatever you want. In fact, there's politicians now that's using the Bible to justify abortion. Why not? If the Catholic Church ain't the, the prime interpreter of sacred scripture, then who is? Right? As a result, the church, to whom the transmission and interpretation of, of Revelation is entrusted, both sacred scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. You don't want to know it. <laughs> Trust. Alright, so we're moving on, huh? What is what genre is the Bible? Now that we've kind of established what kind of book it is, it's a book, huh? Every book has a genre. What genre is the Bible? The Bible, people, is a library. It's not a single book. In fact, it's it's a bunch of books put together. So it's the library. We need to know the context of each book so that we can understand it in the right light. The Catholic Church has a rich tradition on how to read sacred scripture. Right? And when I say tradition, what am I meaning about that? Because when I say magisterium, yeah, it's all the bishops in union with the Pope and they're teaching it with one breath. Huh? Well, I don't mean like, uh, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I take my collar out, I'm at the house, huh? And I'm just kind of speaking off the cuff and I say something wrong. Right? That's not the Catholic Church speaking. That's dumb Father Fourier, you know, speaking off the cuff. Huh? And so when I say the magisterium, I mean in official capacity, all of the bishops in union with the Pope is speaking. The tradition is what they spoke. 
right? So the Second Vatican Council, that's part of the tradition. The Council of Rome, that's part of the tradition. The Council of Jerusalem of Orange, the First Vatican Council, Council of Trent, all that stuff. That's part of the tradition of when those bishops spoke, right? Interpreting sacred scripture to proclaim it to the nations. The genre of the Bible is a library. Think of it like this, in regards to the uh, United States, right? So we have, whenever we were founded, we wrote a constitution, right? We, we have a constitution of the United States. Think of that as the Bible. Now, who interprets the constitution? Me? Or you? Every individual? No. Who interprets the constitution of the United States? The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court interprets the Constitution in every, essentially, right, every age. Now, they can get it wrong like they did before because they are not a divine institution by God. But God said it to St. Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell will never prevail. So think of it like that. The Constitution, the Supreme Court, the Bible, and the Catholic Church. And the Bible is mostly a narrative. It's, it's telling a story. It's about 60% narrative, and the other 40% is referring to that narrative. Uh, like these genealogies, all these things, they're referring to the actual narrative that's going on. So what is a narrative? We have any uh, literary scholars up in here? Am I asking? Maybe one. Um, a narrative is an interpretive, verbal presentation of past events. It makes past events present. In fact, a good narrative will tell a story so as to get to the very heart of a matter. So why communicate to us through a narrative? That's part of God's master plan. Christ is the centerpiece. All of creation is God's narrative. He's communicating one great truth, which is Christ. The main narrative is our fall from grace and our return to him in heaven. And so the Bible is mostly a narrative. Christ is the centerpiece and he's revealing himself and redeeming himself, redeeming us at the same time. He gave us a narrative fundamentally because as he reveals himself, to us, we are being redeemed through these events. And that's why reading scripture is different. Because a narrative makes past events truly present. So when I read sacred scripture, it actually relates to me. It actually can be lived out in me. In real time. That's why when people read sacred scripture, they say, oh, man, it just spoke to me. Or I can read the same passage for 50 years, and I read it again, and something new pops up to me. Because it's, an, it's God's narrative. He's making something past truly present within me, within the human soul. Okay, why are there different translations of the Bible? This is another little corny question I would have. Huh? I just had random questions. Why are there different translations of the Bible? There's a ton of them. Which ones are good, which ones are bad? Well, it's important to realize that the original language of uh, the Bible was Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. Right? Um, it was the Council of Trent 
in the year 1546. Don't fact check me. Uh, 1546, we'll say that. Uh, it was the Council of Trent that kind of made the Latin Vulgate the official language, the official Bible of the church. But that's not to override the original Hebrew and Greek. There was like a hundred different translations of the Bible, of the Hebrew and Greek into Latin. And so the Bible, uh, the, the church just said, okay, look, the Latin Roman, that's the one we're going to use, of all the Latin translations. But still the original Hebrew and Greek is what's supposed to be used. And that's why today, if someone says they're a scripture scholar and they have like a degree in that, for me, a good litmus test is how good is their Hebrew and Greek. If they can't read Hebrew and Greek, I don't even listen to them. Look, people hand out degrees like candy nowadays in regards to like uh, actual institutions. And you don't need to know that. <laughs> this, is just, this is just me going on a tangent. Um, you see, this is what you get when you get me on the pulpit. You get a bunch of what I deal with. Uh, so the reason why the Bible, there's a lot of different translations in the English is because translating is hard. I mean, it's like really hard, people. Especially with dead languages, like Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. For instance, there's, for love, there's like seven words for love. You know how many words for love we got in English? You guessed it, one. Huh? And so like, which love is that? And that's just one word. That's like for every single word. And so translating is very difficult. And so that's why they have a, so many different translations. And you can really get lost on what translation to use. Um, according to biblical scholarship, uh, uh, scholars that I truly know and I trust 100%, huh? and the church does too, uh, the best English translations of the Bible out there is the New American Bible, which is what we use for Mass. Uh, the church declared that, and we're going to use that. <clears throat> and the Re Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, which is what I use. Huh? So this one, I use the RSVCE, uh, Large Text, and Christ's Words are in Red. Then I just like this one. Uh, so I pray with this one, I read it. Uh, I, I have different translations in my office, um, including some of the original ones, just so I can compare every now and then, but for the most part, huh, this is what I use. Um, so those would be the two. And there are bad translations, like the King James Version is not a Catholic version. Those are the ones that have books removed from it. They have less books than the actual Bible does. So make sure you get a Catholic version that has all of the books. Um, okay. Now that we got that first part, what is the Bible? We're going to what is the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is the 46 books of the Bible, which record the history of salvation from creation all the way through the Old Covenant with Israel in preparation for the appearance of Christ as Savior of the world. So from the very moment of creation all the way up right before Christ was born. That's the Old Testament. Uh, the principal purpose and the plan of the Old Testament was directed so that to better prepare the coming of Christ, the Redeemer of all the world, 
to announce this coming by prophecy and to indicate its meaning through various types. Now the books of the Old Testament reveal to all men the knowledge of God, of man, and the ways in which God, just and merciful, deals with men. So the whole reason for the Old Testament is to prepare the way of the Lord, right? John the Baptist, who John the Baptist kind of he's the greatest prophet to ever live. He's supposed to encompass the, the Old Testament in a way. I'm, we're not getting into that. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, the Old Testament points to the New Testament. It's a book without a final chapter, essentially. The climax and the final chapters is the New Testament. Christians venerate the Old Testament as the true word of God. The church has always vigorously opposed the idea of rejecting the Old Testament under the pretext that the New Testament has rendered it void. And so people, the church declares as heresy, actually from the year um, in the 200s, so actually before the Bible was written, it gets kind of crazy when you think about it. Before the, the Bible was finalized, the church, the tradition of the church, the magisterium, declared as heresy to deny the Old Testament because the New Testament happened. That's why Catholic Bibles have both the Old Testament and the New Testament, always. Because it's a heresy to say we don't need the Old Testament anymore because we have the New Testament. That's a no-fly zone. And think of what Christ says in the uh, Gospel of Matthew. Think that I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay. What is the New Testament? The New Testament is the 27 books of the Bible, written by the sacred authors in apostolic times, which have Jesus Christ as their central theme. Right? So from the moment of Christ's birth all the way up through the book of Revelation, which was written around the year 90 A.D. by St. John the Apostle. So St. John wrote the Gospel of St. John, the three letters of, of John, and the book of Revelation. The New Testament is the promises and mighty deeds of God in the Old Testament that prefigure and are fulfilled in the New Covenant, the New Testament. The Gospels are the heart of all of the scriptures. So if you had to pick the very central heart of that entire big book right there, it's the four Gospels. The four Gospels are the heart of all the scriptures because they are our principal source for the life and teaching of the incarnate word, our Savior, Jesus Christ. How do I read sacred scripture? Okay, this is our third part. Right, so I went into what the Bible is as a book. The second part, what is the Old Testament and New Testament? And then this third and final part, how do I read it? The Second Vatican Council indicates that there's three main criteria for when you read and interpret sacred scripture. The first is what we kind of went over. Um, you have to be attentive to the content and unity of the whole of Scripture. 
So what genre is it? And make sure that when you read it, it's not contradicting something you read before. So you could read scripture, have an idea, and then read it some more, and say, mm, that doesn't go along with my idea. That means your idea is wrong. Right? Essentially. Be attentive to the content and the unity of the whole scripture. Different as the books which composed it may be, scripture is a unity by reason of the unity of God's plan. God is, unity is, makes sense, so his book is going to make sense. Read the script, the second part, read the scriptures within the living tradition of the whole church. The living tradition of the whole church, I'll kind of go into that a little bit later if we, if we have, if one of our questions rises up with that. Um, one of the, whenever I prepare homilies, I make sure I always go to the church fathers and doctors of the church. Though that's the tradition of the church. The church fathers, the very first Christians, how did they read sacred scripture and what did they write about it? And then the doctors of the church are essentially the smartest people to ever live. We'll just say that. Uh, and they wrote about the Bible. So what did they say about the Bible? I read them. That's the second part. You have to be attentive to the living tradition of the church. So if I'm going to say something on sacred scripture, and you know St. Polycarp, who lived to see the apostles and talked with them, if he said something completely different, does that mean he's wrong or me? <laughs> me. No? Uh, and then the last one, we have to be attentive to the analogy of faith when we read sacred scripture. That means that when we read, we have to understand the coherence of the truths of faith among themselves and within the whole plan of re revelation. That's, uh, it goes against cherry picking. That's what it goes. The, the third one, how to read sacred scripture, there's no cherry picking. Huh? I read sacred scripture, this fits my way of life, but this one doesn't, so I'm going to throw that out. Uh, essentially what the Protestant reformers did. Right, they, you take the whole of, Bible, of the Bible and I conform my life to it. I don't change God because I want to. I change myself to fit God. Okay, the four senses of Scripture. I gave a homily about this. I know this was the second week of ordinary time because that's our Word of God Sunday. And I kind of gave this uh, understanding of how uh, the church reads sacred scripture. Right? So you keep those three things in mind, but whenever you read it, there's the four senses of scripture. The first is the literal sense. Huh? So the literal sense is simply just a literal interpretation of sacred scripture and the events, the story of historical purposes with no underlying meaning. It actually happened. We're not looking into it at this point. The fact that it merely happened. That's the literal meaning. This is the foundation of all the other interpretations of Scripture. It had to happen, people. Before I can... We can have every interpretation under the sun of what Jesus said. But guess what? Jesus first had to actually say it. That's, that's this first one. This is the foundation before you build the house. The literal interpretation. And that's kind of... Now I'm getting into the weeds of it. There's two. There's the improper and, and, and proper literal sense. The proper is that like, you know, it actually happened, right? So Moses, Abraham, you know, the, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and going into the desert, that actually happened. The improper would be like a, a, 
kind of phrase, right? It's raining cat and dogs outside. Well, it really is raining, huh? It's just not my cat and my dog, right? And this is, think of the parables of Jesus, huh? So whenever he says, take sin so seriously, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Right? So he's telling you to keep it serious, but not to cut off your hand. Right? That's a misinterpretation of a literal, of what he's literally trying to say. Right? So there's a literal sense. And then moving up, you have the spiritual senses. The spiritual senses is what most people know about. Right? This is the complete, the full sense of what the Holy Spirit intends to reveal to humanity. The spiritual senses. There's three of them. The first is the allegorical. The allegorical connects the Old Testament with the New Testament. Right? In particular, it draws connections between the events of Christ's life with the stories of the Old Testament. I'll go into that later. It's what I, I essentially, I talk about this all the time in Muhammad, is typology. <clears throat> something in the Old Testament pointing to something in the New Testament. I'll give an example later. Um, that's the allegorical. The next spiritual sense is the moral sense. The moral is how we should act in the present. The moral of the story. Stop sinning. Or not cut off your hand. Just stop, avoid the near occasions of sin. And that's the moral, moral sense. And then the final one is the anagogical. These got complicated names, just, you can get along with it. Or you could learn them, drop them at a party, and impress all your friends. <laughs> right? It's kind of what I do. That's why they pay me the big bucks. That's why I got a microphone, because I learned the big things. Uh, Lord, uh, <laughs> Lord, Lord. Uh, so the anagogical. The anagogical, this final step of interpreting of the spiritual senses of Scripture, it, it deals with future events. Right? So our final destiny is heaven with God. That's what everything is pointing to. That's the narrative. And so in a sense, it should have this heavenly dimension. Right? Of both heaven, hell, purgatory, judgment, that type of thing. That's the anagogical sense. That's the, the three spiritual senses based on the literal sense. Um, a wrong way to understand this, a wrong way to understand this is that each word in every single verse has four different meanings. It's not the way to go about it. Right? It has one true meaning. One true meaning. Not four different kinds of every single word. Right? And so I said I'd go into, then I'll end with this. Um, I said I'd go into that first one, the allegorical sense, because this is where I found the most fruit in my own reading of the Old Testament, the New Testament connecting it. Is what was called typology. Typology, in a nutshell, is the discernment of persons, places, events in the Old Testament, which prefigure the fulfillment of God's plan in the person of Christ. So I said in the beginning, the reason for the Old Testament was to point to Christ, to prepare the way of the Lord. So that means it's got to have something in relation to Jesus and what he's about to do. That's why Christ says, I came to fulfill 
to fulfill the law and the prophets. God, the inspirer and the author of both the Old and the New Testament, wisely arranged that the New Testament would be hidden in the Old Testament. And that the Old Testament will have its full completion of meaning in the New Testament. For though Christ established the new covenant in his blood, still the books of the Old Testament with all their parts caught up into the proclamation of the gospel acquire and show forth their full meaning in the new. Right, that's, a, that's a quote. I know that could be kind of a wordy quote. That was a quote from St. Augustine that he lived in the years around 400. Right, so essentially, that very first generation that had the full Bible and, and also adopted the church, which means he's one of the smartest people to ever live. And so I'll, I'll finish it with this, right? A story we all know. Yeah, this will get aggravating for you, and you'll see why. Uh, right, the story of Moses leading the Israelite people out of the slavery to Pharaoh into the promised land, right? Here's, my, here's what I came up with. You're going to really hate it. Uh, <clears throat> a real Moses really led real Jews from real oppression into real Egypt under real Pharaoh, really crossing the real Red Sea and really wandering through a real wilderness, past real Mount Sinai, really receiving a real law and really entering a real promised land. Right, that's it. Um, oh yeah, oh really. <laughs> Well, I knew I was going to get something from <laughs> uh, Actually, my mom, she's so proud of me right now because when I was little, I had to learn how to pronounce my R's. And so that was the real test of making that happen. <laughs> okay, so all those things really happen. Uh, these are real events, but they're also signs and symbols pointing to what's about to happen. So, for instance, the Exodus event is a symbol, a sign for all of salvation. All of it. Let me go through these different parts. Egypt represents sin. Pharaoh represents Satan. Moses represents Christ. The Jews represent the, the church. The Red Sea equals death. The wilderness they were stuck in represents purgatory. The old law that they received on Mount Sinai will be fulfilled by the new law. Mount Sinai, where they received the old law, Mount Sinai is representative of the new mountain, where the Sermon on the Mount was given, in Matthew chapter 5-7, through where we just finished in our Gospels uh, for these Sundays. The new law is what's on Mount Sinai, or on the mount, where Jesus preached. And in the promised land that they, they finally got to, points to heaven. That's typology. That's the four senses of scripture. Right? And that's just one story. It could be done with the entire Bible. Right? Okay. It's something, yeah. That's, uh, 
I wanted to open it up for questions. Um, now, four questions. I'm all about them. But uh, you got to, this is my precursor to that. One, if I don't know it, you have to, you have to accept that. Okay. 